the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Listen to what Moses told the Jewish people who were soon to enter the land of Canaan. He said in Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 8. He said, see, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding, note this, in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I'm setting before you today? So Moses is telling Israel that God has made them to be different, to be distinct from the Gentile nations around them who would recognize that Israel was a reflection of the unique and holy God that they belong to. today to grasp the intense hostility and the animosity that existed between Jews and Gentiles in the first century. The Jews despised the Gentiles so much that they actually believed the Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. Likewise, Gentiles also had deep-seated feelings of animosity toward the Jews. Gentiles called Jews enemies of the human race and considered them to be nothing more than slaves. Well, with that, welcome to Verse by Verse with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. When God created the nation of Israel, it was with the idea that she would be a light for the Gentiles, not only by declaring the truth about God, but by living out the truth about Him. In the midst of a sin-darkened world, God wanted a people who would show forth His light, His praises, His glory, and that they would live according to His holy standards. We are setting the stage for our new verse-by-verse series. The title is, The Gospel Comes to the Gentiles. And this should be good. Here is Pastor Steve. It is hard, very hard for us today to grasp the intense hostility and the animosity that existed between Jews and Gentiles in the first century. Jews despised Gentiles so much that they actually believed the Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. That was their attitude. It was actually unlawful for a Jew to help a Gentile woman during labor and childbirth. Why? Because then they would be responsible for bringing another Gentile into the world. 
Likewise, Gentiles also had deep-seated feelings of animosity towards Jews. Gentiles called Jews enemies of the human race and considered them to be nothing more than slaves. Now, you can get a little bit of a feel for the type of contempt that Gentiles had towards Jews just in the words of Pontius Pilate as Jesus stood before him and Pontius Pilate was asking him questions and Jesus responded at one time to him. Pilate cried out to him. He said, I'm not a Jew, am I? This enmity between Jews and Gentiles, I want you to understand, it was not new to the first century. It was not created in just that era. It had been going on for centuries dating back to Israel's early history. See, when God created the nation of Israel back in Abram's day, it was with the design that she would be a light for the Gentiles. Not only by declaring the truth about God, but by living out the truth about him. In the midst of a sin-darkened world, God wanted a people who would show forth his light, his praises, his glory, and live according to his holy standards. That was God's design for Israel. We read these words in Isaiah 43, verse 21. The people whom I have formed for myself, meaning Israel, will declare my praise. The people whom I form for myself will declare my praise. But the question is, to whom would Israel declare God's praise? In other words, who'd be the audience that Israel proclaimed God's praises to? Well, in the very same context in Isaiah of saying that Israel will declare God's praise, we read this in Isaiah 43, verse 9. All the nations, that means the Gentiles, all the nations have gathered together so that the peoples may be assembled. See, the Gentile nations, they were the audience for Israel. The Gentiles were Israel's mission field. And God's intention was for the Jewish nation to be a channel of blessing through whom the Lord would reach the Gentile nations. And the Gentile nations were not only to hear the Jewish people declare the truth about God, they were to look upon the Jewish people, they were to be impressed with how different they were in their behavior and in their attitude so that they would be impressed with the God who made them so different. Listen to what Moses told the Jewish people who were soon to enter the land of Canaan. He said in Deuteronomy 4 verses 5 through 8, he said, see I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding, note this, in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I'm setting before you today. So Moses is telling Israel that God has made them to be different, to be distinct from the Gentile nations around them who would recognize that Israel was a reflection of the unique and holy God that they belonged to. But Israel really blew it. Israel absolutely blew it because she failed to understand her sense of destiny. She failed to understand her mission in the world. Instead of reaching out to the Gentiles, the Jewish nation became sinfully and selfishly isolated from the Gentiles. And therefore, a great wall developed between Jew and Gentile. Instead of viewing their differences as a way to reach the Gentile nations, the Jewish people viewed their differences as justification for pride and self-righteous conceit. 
They felt that their differences made them superior to the Gentiles, and it bred in them a feeling of disdain and contempt for non-Jews. You can see this contemptuous feeling. It's reflected, it's typified in the prophet Jonah and his hatred for the people of Nineveh. When God commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to them that he was going to judge the Ninevites unless they repented. You know the story. Jonah initially refused and he headed in just the opposite direction. And he did this, why? Because he didn't want the Gentiles to experience God's grace, his mercy, his salvation. He wanted them to get what they deserved, God's wrath and punishment and judgment. And even after God chastised him by sending this massive fish to swallow him, and he did preached to the Ninevites, and they did repent, he was angry and upset, and he was angry and upset with God. Why? Because God dared to show the Gentiles, these wicked Gentiles, his mercy rather than his judgment. Folks, that was the view of Jewish people. That was the very attitude that had been ingrained in the Jewish people for centuries. The typical Jewish person in ancient times was raised to believe that because they were chosen by God to be his people, that they were morally superior to the Gentiles, and that God loved only them, and he didn't even care for the Gentiles. He wasn't interested in them at all. And that was exactly what all of our Lord's Jewish apostles were raised to believe. They all grew up with a typical Jewish mindset that looked down upon Gentiles as unclean people to the point that if they or any Jewish person of that day would accidentally touch a Gentile while walking on the street, they'd have to go home. They'd have to wash in order to be ritually clean before God. That's how bad it was. So here's the problem with all of this disdain and all this animosity between Jews and Gentiles in the first century. Jesus made it very clear to these prejudiced apostles that his message of salvation was not exclusively for Jewish people. It was to be taken by them to the ends of the earth, meaning to the Gentiles. And the Lord told them this several times so that they couldn't possibly miss it. Towards the end of his ministry, he commissioned them, not once, not twice, but many times that they were to take the gospel to all nations, meaning the Gentiles. So in Matthew 28, 19, we read, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go to all nations. In Luke 24, verses 46 and 47, Jesus presented it this way. He said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So yes, from Jerusalem, eventually head out to all nations. And then, of course, in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he's come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. But the challenge with this commission to take the gospel to the Gentiles is how this could possibly be accomplished if his Jewish apostles had feelings of animosity in their hearts towards Gentiles. Listen, if these Jewish apostles felt morally defiled by just touching a Gentile, then how in the world would any of them get close enough to a Gentile to share the gospel with them? Well, they wouldn't. They just wouldn't. Unless 
unless God intervened and changed their thinking so that they were convinced that their old prejudices were sinful and wrong and that God did care for the Gentiles and that by interacting with Gentiles they would not be interacting with unclean people who would defile them. And that's exactly what the Lord did. He changed the thinking of the apostles towards the Gentiles starting with one apostle, Peter. And he did this by giving Peter a very unique experience that was to alter the course of history. So much so that many of you as Gentiles are sitting here today as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of Peter's experience. We read about this experience in Acts chapter 10. I want to read to you verses 1 through 16. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. A devout man and one who feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened and an object like a great sheet coming down lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, these verses set the stage for what we will see later in this chapter, namely, the conversion of Cornelius, this man mentioned here, and the members of his household. But more importantly... These verses explain to us that God was now officially tearing down the barrier that had existed between Jew and Gentile for all these years, and he did it by reconciling them in Christ and welcoming Gentiles into the church as full-fledged members of his body, the body of Christ, which makes, folks, this event in Acts 10 one of the most significant, if not the most significant event to take place in all of church history. You see, from a strictly human standpoint, and I understand God is totally sovereign, can do whatever he wants, but from a strictly human standpoint, if what we read in Acts 10 had never taken place, then the gospel would have remained focused solely on Jewish people, with the result being that Gentiles all over the world would have remained in darkness, including yourselves, being spiritually ignored and overlooked, just lost No hope. In other words, without the event of Acts 10, Christianity would have evolved into nothing more than another branch of Judaism, one with just a messianic flavor. 
But God didn't let that happen. Because he had sovereignly ordained that Gentiles be included in his church. And Acts 10 shows us how he began to bring them in. And that's really the focus of our study this morning in Acts as we begin and just begin to see how the gospel came to the Gentiles. Now this is, I want you to know from the get-go, this is a long section. In fact, it is the longest section in the book of Acts because the story of Cornelius and his Gentile household coming to faith in Christ covers not only all of chapter 10, which has 48 verses, but it also continues till the 18th verse of chapter 11 with Peter being forced to explain to the Jerusalem church how salvation to the Gentiles has come about. And the fact that Luke devotes so much time to this one event, it just tells us something of the significance that he placed upon this. Therefore, because of its length, because of its significance, it's just going to take us more than one week to cover this. So in order to help you see the big picture and see the flow and progression of these verses, I want you to understand how Luke structured chapter 10. To begin with, it's helpful to know that there are six individual scenes that comprise this chapter. Luke keeps going back and forth with these scenes. And each scene is devoted to telling us something unique in relation to Cornelius and his household receiving the gospel. So, in the opening scene, scene one, Luke introduces us to Cornelius by explaining who he is, something a little bit about him, and the vision that God gave him. Then in the second scene, Luke tells us about Peter and the vision that God gave him. The third scene involves some messengers coming from Cornelius to Peter, requesting that he come with them go back to Caesarea to speak to Cornelius. The fourth scene is Peter arriving at the house of Cornelius, meeting him, and then Cornelius explaining to the apostle why he has sent for him. The fifth scene is Peter proclaiming the gospel to Cornelius and his family members. And then the sixth and the final scene is devoted to telling us that upon hearing the gospel, Cornelius and his household became believers in Jesus Christ, with God affirming the reality of the salvation by giving them the Holy Spirit and then evidencing true salvation by a willingness to submit to the waters of baptism. That's the big picture. That's how the gospel finally came to the Gentiles. But what makes this section in Acts so special is that this isn't simply a historical moment at a critical point in history. I mean, it is that, but it's not just that. But rather, that behind the scenes, we see God. We see God orchestrating all the events that led to the gospel coming to the Gentiles. As you go through these verses, you're going to see God's hand in all of this. You're going to see how he sovereignly prepared both Cornelius and Peter for their encounter. How he worked in Peter's heart to bring him to the point where his prejudices were overcome and he could go to the Gentiles in clear conscience and how God not only brought the gospel message to Cornelius and his family, but how he brought Cornelius and his family to himself. How he opened their hearts so that they received the gospel. So, that's the background, and with this as our background, we're now ready to delve into the text. And this morning, we're going to look at the first two scenes in this chapter, with the first one being this, Cornelius and the vision that God gave him. Starting in verses 1 and 2, we read, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, 
a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Now Luke begins this episode by introducing us to this man called Cornelius. First, he tells us his professional side as a soldier. And then he tells us something of his religious side as one who feared God. So let me explain what all this means. First of all, Luke reveals that Cornelius was a centurion, meaning that he was an officer in the Roman army. And as a centurion, he was in charge of about a hundred soldiers. He was basically the equivalent of what we would call today in the military a captain. And the particular unit that he commanded was known as the Italian cohort. That was a division within the vast Roman army consisting of men, freed men from Italy. Now Luke tells us that Cornelius and his men were stationed in a very important city in Israel by the name of Caesarea. Those of you who have been to Israel, those of you who have been with me know that that's pretty much the first place we go to. We go to Carmel and then we go to Caesarea. And the reason for the importance of this city was because it was the capital then of the province of Judea. Therefore, the residence of the Roman governor. His residence was not in Jerusalem. He had a place to stay in Jerusalem. But his ongoing residence was in Caesarea on the coast. And therefore, this becomes a very important city. And that's why Cornelius and his soldiers were stationed there. Because it was their job to protect the Roman citizens, including the governor who resided there, and to make sure that the city and the surrounding areas were safe and secure. Now, turning to the religious side of Cornelius... Luke tells us that he was a devout man, one who feared God, was generous to the Jewish people, gave alms to them, and who prayed continually. And what he means by this is that although he was a Gentile, this is important to understand, although he was a Gentile, he had rejected the paganism of his day with its many gods and myths and empty religious rituals. He rejected that, and as a Gentile, he embraced Judaism. He embraced Judaism in hopes of finding salvation for his soul there. No doubt being stationed in Israel, Cornelius was exposed to Judaism and it simply appealed to him. However, the fact that Luke refers to Cornelius as a God-fearer is very important because it means that while he worshipped the God of Israel and he practiced Judaism, he had not become a full proselyte to Judaism through the ritual of circumcision. In other words, although he had some strong attachments to the Jewish religion and conducted his life in an exemplary way that reflected his belief in Judaism, although all that was true, he had not converted to Judaism. Therefore, he was not a Jew. He was still considered a Gentile in the eyes of the Jewish community. But he observed many of the religious practices of the Jewish people. And one of them was to pray at certain set times throughout the day, which is what Luke tells us he was doing when God did something remarkable in his life. We read in verses 3 and 4. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, what we read here is that about the ninth hour of the day, which was three in the afternoon, Cornelius was praying because this was the customary time for Jewish people to pray. And he embraced that practice. And while he was praying, an angel of God came to him in a vision. 
And calling him by his name, Cornelius, he told him that your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. In other words, God has taken note of your prayers and charitable gifts. You see, God saw this man's heart. He saw that he was a sincere man. He was a devout man. He was a man who, to the best of his understanding, was worshiping God and living up to the knowledge that he had. But it is critical, folks, for us to understand that his sincerity and religious devotion was not enough to save his soul. Even though Cornelius believed in the one true God, and he observed the Old Testament Jewish laws, he still was not right with God. And we know that he wasn't right with God as a man who was forgiven of his sins and thus reconciled to God because of what the angel went on to say to him. He was not right with God. And we read verses 5 through 8, The angel saying, now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. That's the big picture of where we are heading in our new series, The Gospel Comes to the Gentiles. What makes this section in Acts so special is this isn't simply an historical moment at a critical point in history. It is that, but it's more than just that. Behind the scenes, we see God at work. We see God orchestrating all of the events that led to the gospel coming to the Gentiles. As we close today's verse-by-verse program, I would like to highlight our podcast, It gives you the chance to listen to a previous broadcast or listen when your schedule will allow. You can head over to versebyverseradio.org and look for the podcast link. That's versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.